As the youth head out, the word of the Lord comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We pick up in the middle of the story, as we always do. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead of him, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied up there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went ahead and found, uh, excuse me, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their coats on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came, to, uh, came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, Jesus saw the city and wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come when, or the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you on the ground, you and your children within their walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So far, the reading of God's word. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And every heading in my Bible, at least, and I expect in most of ours, says the triumphal entry. But Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of peace. I've always imagined kids riding around, or kids walking around, running around with him, going wild with palm branches, as only kids can do. I got hit with a palm branch this morning. I imagine Jesus did as well. But somehow, uh, this year I read all four gospel writers' accounts and realized that only one mentions children. It's this account, Luke's account, which we just read. And Luke's version hardly seems triumphal at all. In fact, it flies in the face of our expectations about Palm Sunday. The crowds might well be celebrating. Even Jesus' disciples are exuberant and hopeful. But Jesus is weeping grieving, lamenting. This Sunday, we conclude our series on wicked problems. Wicked problems are not simple problems with yes or no answers. They're not even complex problems that have a definite path through them, even if there's many variables. Wicked problems have many dimensions. They're influenced by many factors. They have no quote-unquote right solution. The best way forward depends on the context of all these different factors. And this is where we lament, or, or it's, it's over these wicked problems that we lament. 
Many factors and dimensions, no easy solutions. We contribute to the problem ourselves while also holding ourselves and holding one another up to God. Lament turns our hearts and minds back to God in the midst of our struggles. And it's significant that Palm Sunday, not only uh, do we hear Jesus grieve and lament, but we also hear Jesus tell the celebrating crowds that they should be grieving and lamenting. And so as we consider generational pain and separation this morning, we hear Jesus' words of lament echoed in Lamentations 5. This is going to conclude our, our series looking at Lamentations, which highlights the pain, uh, the pain of the destroyed city of Jerusalem and how that pain reverberates and echoes across generations. This is what Lamentations 5 says. It says, Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger, Women have been violated in Zion. Young women are virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their, by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under the loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you are angry with us, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Many of you I know are reading on the screen and don't have your physical Bibles open, but that's how the book of Lamentations ends. That's the end. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. That's it. The book of Lamentations ends struggling with what continues to be a struggle for so many of us. Generational pain and separation. Elders are not honored. Young people are exhausted under the weight of work and stress. Apart from a change of scenery that our elders don't hang out by the city gates, we don't use millstones and most of us don't haul wood. It seems like almost nothing has changed except this, the context. Elders at River Park might feel like they are not honored. Young people are far too busy. They're stumbling under the weight of their work and worries. Everywhere we look, we see loss of life together, loss of intimacy. Jeremiah, as he concludes this letter, plays the role of the elder, sharing words that maybe even our elders have said. Renew our days of old. Take us back to the good old days. But what are we to do with Jeremiah's words? Or for that matter, with Jesus' actions and Jesus' words? In Luke chapter 19. Lamentation, 
especially for generational pain, comes in the context of unfulfilled past hope. When we lament, especially in regard to generational pain, it's because we remember the days of old. We remember that time when we had some hope for the future, some picture of how things would go. And now we live in that future. But we experience that our hopes are unrealized. Will we continue to hope? Will we give up? Nowhere else is the question more personal or more painful than when it comes to the relationship between children and parents. And all of us have them. All of us have parents and families of origin, even if not all of us have children. I saved this topic, generational pain and distance. I saved this topic for last in part because it connects with Psalm or with uh, Palm Sunday, in part because it connects with Lamentations 5, but also in part because it's the single topic about which Pastor Harrison and I received the most laments from us, from you as a congregation. So I want to give you a picture of River Park Church. And to do that, I want to uh, use this image on the screen behind me. It's a sculpture by a French uh, artist, Bruno Catalano. The original is in Marseille in France. This is a copy that's actually downtown in Calgary. It's called The Traveler. And the picture that this artist is trying to capture is that every time we travel, every time we go, we leave a part of us behind. That's a really powerful image. So who are we as River Park Church? We are people whose children have moved to other parts of the country, other parts of the world. We are children who have left our homes and our families behind, who feel the pain of aging parents and grandparents, of aunts and uncles and cousins and siblings who we no longer know intimately. Beyond the pain of geographical separation, we are people who have been abandoned or insulted by our rebellious children. We are people who try to care for and love our adult children, who accept our help but don't accept us. We are people who still bear emotional and even physical scars from pain inflicted by parents, both unintentionally and intentionally. But the generational pain continues. We are a church family whose children and whose siblings have left River Park Church. Some for other congregations, some have left the faith. We're a church family who were abandoned by our biological families when we came to faith. Even amongst ourselves, as members of the same spiritual family, we remain locked in tension between young and old between preferences and priorities of one generation or another. The pain of lamentations and the lament of Jesus in Luke is not some far off and distant land. It's part of our daily reality. So much so that some of us have become numb to it. And we really don't expect it will ever change. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way it's supposed to be. King Solomon outlined the way things are supposed to go in Proverbs chapter 22. He said, start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. 
Wisdom literature doesn't make uh, formulaic promises. Wisdom literature tells us the way life is supposed to work in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. And we lament because we know that even though God's law and God's word is perfect, we are not. The Jews knew as well. The Old Testament people of God and the people of Jesus' day, they knew that the law of God wasn't a formulaic, or the wisdom literature wasn't a formulaic promise. That scripture doesn't promise that we can control others' destinies, not even the destinies of our children. In fact, scripture promises that we can't even control our own destinies. Because of the fall, all of us are assured of eternal destruction, except for the grace of God. And this not by works, not by what we do, so that no one can boast. And so even as we fall on God's grace, even as we cry out with the crowds of Jerusalem, Hosanna, we grieve. We grieve the generational trauma that we inhabit. But God has not left us alone. God has not left us to cling to old family photos when we were all together before all this. God did not create us to live in the past. Did you know, for example, that Hosanna, the words that the crowds said to Jesus, is a Hebrew word. That's an expression that became in Jesus' day an expression of praise. But literally, it means save us. And there's a kind of an urgency to it. Save us now. It's an expression of praise, but also of desperate hope and trust. The past cannot save us. This is why Jesus, who was, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, uh, who longed for the glory days of Israel, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is not our past. Jesus is our present. Jesus is our eternal future. When we dwell in the past that we have lost, And when we worry about the scary possibilities of the somewhat near future, we run the risk of turning God into an abstraction. After all, the past and the the near present are both abstract hypotheticals. What if I had done things differently? I wonder if they will ever change. Our generational pain more than some others can tempt us into that kind of abstraction. What if I had raised my kids differently? Or, I wonder if I'll ever be able to reconcile with my father. I wonder if my kids or grandkids will ever return to the faith. If my family of origin will ever accept me. Lament is not conversation about God in the abstract. As I said, Jesus is not our past and he's not our short-term future. Lament is direct conversation with God in the present. Sun Chan Ra, whose book we've referenced throughout this series, says lament as dialogue, conversation back and forth, lament as dialogue challenges the notion of an abstract relationship with God. Despite the fact that as God's covenant people, we are the lesser partners, despite the fact that we have no merits or goodness on our own to, draw, to come before God, Scripture still holds out lament for us as a way 
to draw near to God with our sorrow, with our pain, to open up a dialogue, to speak to God the honest things that are on our hearts, and actually to hear him respond. That's what dialogue is. Not just us speaking, but hearing God's response, not just in the abstract, but to us, to you personally. I use the covenantal language here because lament reminds us of two things. First, that we can speak directly to God, as I said, that we can hear God speak to us. Our faith isn't about abstract ideas, about our past failures or others, or about future possibilities. Our faith is about a present relationship and an eternal relationship. Second, our faith or our relationship depends first on God, not on us. And this is also good news because God is more trustworthy than we are. If generational pain often makes us look back to the past with grief, we can and should confess our part of that grief, our part of that pain to God. But God does not need us to try to be better. Instead, God invites us to put our trust in him, to depend on him rather than to depend on our own strength. Likewise, if generational pain brings us face to face with the shame and the ostracization of our past, we have a present God who shares his boundless honor with us who speaks words of love and care and hope and healing over us, not in some far-off past and not in some short-term possible future, but today. I use covenantal language because in just one week, we're going to gather together at Easter for our Sunday services. We're going to celebrate our risen Lord, both here inside the building and outside in the open air of our city. And Lamentations, if you remember, is all about a city, the city of Jerusalem. It's not about an abstract idea. It's about a real physical place filled with real people who Jeremiah knew and loved. People whom God knows and loves. Sun Chen Ra again talks about the city as the place that God loves, the place that God invites us to work with him. The city is not an abstraction. The city of Calgary, for example, is one place where God has established his kingdom. It's one place where God has brought together a new family called the church. This new family shares in Christ's perfect honor, regardless of our shameful past, regardless of even of our broken present. There are people in our city who live the shame of separation and ostracization every day. They need the honor of God that is only available in God's new family. And this new family includes River Park Church. The city of Calgary is full of people depending on themselves, facing the struggles of everyday life, including the struggles of generational pain, without the ability or experience to depend on a higher power, to depend on God. These people also need to experience the peace that is possible for God's people because of the power and presence of our God in us and among us. 
Again, Sunshan Ra reminds us that Easter properly locates or places the lament of Palm Sunday, the death of Good Friday, and the guilt of, and shame of our own lives. He says, even if we, even if we were to abandon the city, even if we were to lose all the structures that made our faith work, God remains Lord over the city. God is in charge of the restoration. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in God. And God is with his people now. Our generational pain, especially our attitude toward the church, is often based in a picture we have of how the world should be or how the world should have been. But our hope is in God. Because God's picture of the world is always bigger than ours. God's picture connects our present reality to our eternal reward. Paul says, if Christ had not been raised, we are of all people most to be pitied. Connecting the present of his, of his listeners to the future reward, their eternal reward. But Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's been raised as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. God has been faithful to Christ. God has been faithful to us, his long prodigal children. God has brought us back to him, back to himself. God has shared his honor and his love and his joy with us. Paul connects the present moment of his readers' lives to their eternal destiny with God in Christ. And yet we remain in the present. There's no resolution to the end of the book of Lamentations because lament is for the present. Lament is for every real and raw moment in our lives. There's not presently an end to our pain, our separation, and our sorrow. There's not presently an end to war in our world. We live still today in the unresolved tension of Lamentations chapter 5. We do not know what the next step will be. We do not know what the next chapter will be. But we can come to God confident in his provision for a final step, in a final chapter in eternity. God's spirit present with us now the honor that he bestows on all of us as his new family, this is the greatest peace and the greatest witness we have as God's people as we look to the next step and the next and to all that comes between here and now and eternity. And so as we wonder, as we wait, as we grieve, as we walk out these doors and realize that nothing in our families has changed and might not change, Consider Jesus' words on the cross. An early taste of the Holy Week that is to come. This is John chapter 19. Near the cross, after Jesus was crucified, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, 
this disciple took her into his home. These words from Jesus led Cyprian, a church leader in the 200s, to say that one, a person cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. As we grieve the pain of our biological families, we remember that God has given us a new family, a spiritual family to know and to love, a place where we can be known and be loved, a spiritual family to grieve with. The altar call this morning, if you're looking for one, is not, will you invite Jesus into your heart? But rather, will we, will, we, will you, will I, will we follow the example of John? Will we receive the blessing of Jesus for a new spiritual family, regularly inviting one another into our homes, our houses, our families, our schedules? Then we might cry together. Then we might laugh together. Then we might know life together and be the body together. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the unresolved tension, the unfinished pain of our world and our lives. And even as the generational separation and pain, which weighs so heavily on so many of us, Lord, even as that remains unresolved, may we know your Spirit's presence and power with us. Even as we carry the weight and pain, the shame and brokenness of our past, may we know and experience the honor that you bestow upon us. May we see your love for us in the eyes of the people gathered here together as a spiritual family. May we hear your words of love spoken over us in our conversation over coffee time, in our homes and beyond. And may we experience the peace and the joy of your family as we continue to walk together down the journey that you have called us on and the road that you have given us to walk together. Father, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.